Can I listen to your podcast? We are back. <laughs> Welcome back to Middle School Music, where old school meets new school in the middle. Uh, we've got Farhan Lalji and Dario Duet. Dario, how you doing? I'm well. It's been a long time. It's, uh, wow, it's been a really long time. It has been a long time. Uh, thank you to everybody because, I mean, strangely enough, we are getting the occasional emails and tweets around when are you going to put new muse, new podcasts out. So, so appreciation to all those people who have asked. Um, you know, it's been hard for us, like everybody else, I think, uh, just with COVID and the pandemic. Uh, neither of us has been blessed to have our vaccinations just yet, but hopefully the UK is getting their stuff together and it looks like things are, are opening up and, and hopefully, um, you know, the year will only get better. How, how's it been for you, Dario? Yeah, man, I think the last time we actually recorded was was pre-lockdown 3.0. Um, so it, it's, been a, it's been a dark winter, I won't lie. I mean, I'm normally in South Africa over this time. So, you know, I kind of get a double up on double dose of, of vitamin D. So it, it's been dark, both literally and figuratively, but I think we're coming out the other side. So it's good to, to be back and, and hey, there's been good music to get us through it. There has indeed. There has indeed. Um, and we will definitely kind of touch on the new music uh, later on. I'm sure you will hear uh, a lot of talk on the, the new Silk Sonic, uh, the, you know, kind of the Anderson Pock and Bruno Mars collaboration. Uh, that's kind of been interesting and, and seeing how they've released that. Uh, the new Drake as well, kind of touching off. Uh, but yeah, that's and that's just recent. I mean, over the, the period, it feels like artists are getting their groove back and, and are getting comfortable with, you know, at least releasing lots of music if, if they're not doing as many concerts or even streaming uh, events. How have you found that? Yeah, it's great. I mean, I think uh, considering there's a potential kind of we can kind of see the light, at least in the UK from a COVID point of view, um, I think that artists are starting to just realize, well, New Year, New Year, New Me. No, well, they're just going to have to kind of work with the circumstances and kind of use that as a, a, a kind of a springboard to, to hopefully a successful touring season in the summer. Um, I see in, in, in the UK, at least, um, uh, they've, they've sold out El Roy, which is a big kind of music festival, Spanish music festival, uh, has sold out two days already for August this year as a festival. So it seems like the demand is there. Um, I know that's dance music, but um, hopefully we'll start to see kind of things back up and running. Um, yeah, it'll be, I mean, I think the summer's a good time to kind of see the festival side of things opening back up, right? Because you're not in a cramped arena, you're just in a cramped field, right? <laughs> it'll be really, really interesting to kind of see, you know, what precautions are taken, what that experience is like, the numbers in terms of, you say that it's sold out, but how many, you know, spaces have they actually sold? Yeah. Are they going to be, you know, kind of trying to enforce any kind of social distancing at all? But, you know, I think that we'll probably be in this weird um, state for at least a little while where concerts are happening, but they may not feel like they did pre-pandemic. Uh, and I'm really curious to see what those are like. I think, you know, I've kind of hesitated and stayed away from festivals just in general. Hasn't always been my thing, um, but I can definitely see myself going to one or two this summer just to get some of that live music experience exactly i mean i put a, a poll out on my instagram and on the, the middle school instagram asking kind of would people pay to watch a live stream post pandemic i'm not just talking about a live stream i'm talking about like you know full production like this thing is made for viewers um 
And coincidentally, uh, despite some coming from emerging markets who don't necessarily have access to some of the live acts that you'd have here, there's an overwhelming response saying, no, they wouldn't. It's around, around 75%. So um, particularly interesting, I think. Yeah, uh, I, mean, I think the, the media consumption piece, uh, and this kind of leads in nicely to, to probably our big topic that we want to talk about, but, you know, kind of the streaming side, you know, to get subscriptions up might be the, the way forward, right? Like if I think about the Reading and Leeds Festival um, that the BBC has broadcasted for some time, as well as Glastonbury, right? Even if you weren't participating live, you know, getting access to the streams was a lot of fun, right? Like knowing that you could watch on demand, you know, whatever artist it might be that you want to watch. I wonder if that will become more of a thing where there will be festivals yeah. and then sell their streaming rights to some of the broadcasting networks or the streaming networks or platforms uh, in order to watch that. That could be, you know, cause I mean, while they won't pay specifically for that content, they will pay for the subscriptions to the platforms mm -hmm. and the platforms are always on the look for new content. So I can see those kind of sprouting up on whether it's Amazon Prime, Netflix, or in the US with Hulu and Peacock and others. Uh, as We've well. seen Live Nation is just a quiet majority stake in Deeps. So you'll see uh kind of potential crossover there as well um, well speaking speaking of acquisitions uh i think that that kind of leads us nicely into the biggest kind of i think you know, kind of embedded finance media, um, media finance perspective deal that we saw over the last couple of weeks with title and square uh announcing their tie-up uh we we've been messaging furiously yeah. and talking to, to the teams at anthemis uh, regarding this, but I'm I'm curious if you want to share your view uh, on that deal, and then I'll share mine uh, around just what that means for the industry and and how you read that deal as as what it means for artists, what it means for financial services, and what it means for consumers. Yeah, I think um, I think that okay. I've always been a big muso, which is obviously why you know you and I have, have kind of why middle school exists, uh, <laughs> why we're friends, and I think. You know, I've always been frustrated because you, you saw the music industry and you saw the financial services industry and you saw a problem in the music industry and you saw a lack of interest in the financial service industry. Now, maybe I'm stereotyping here, but I think the, the issue that you saw was people that lived the problem in the music industry didn't know how to solve the problem. And I think what's great about this square title deal, and we'll go into the minutiae later, is this is kind of bridging the gap between the two. And it can change the narrative completely within an industry that has been dying for change for many, many years. I think you think back, I mean, sorry, you, you think back to, to the way that record labels were typically constructed, sorry, record deals. Um, you know, as a reference, you could watch Artifact, that 30 Seconds to Mars documentary when EMI kind of sued uh, Jared Leto and 30 Seconds to Mars because uh, they were in contravention of the record deal. Or you hear about countless opportunities or, or, or scenarios where artists are disempowered because the actual hand that's feeding them is almost shoving food down their throat to the point that they're choking and dying. Uh, now, might be a drastic kind of analogy there, but it's, it's kind of true for most. And it still happens today, even in the streaming world, you see only kind of the top 
what, 1% of artists are really only making the money and everyone else is, is kind of struggling. While access and distribution is greater, it's harder to get your name out there. Now, kind of as, as a side note, I'm not sure if you saw this past week as well. Uh, maybe it's good that we give gaps between our episodes. Um, yeah, cover. <laughs> Spotify, not Spotify, SoundCloud, all these S's, um, has introduced fan-based royalty payments. Yeah. So what that means is if you listen to little SoundCloud X, <laughs> uh, you, you'll, the money that's generated from your stream will go directly to that artist as opposed to other DSPs where it almost gets lost in the netherworld and goes to Drake or Eminem or somebody else, you know? Uh, yeah. well, let me pause before I kind of continue. Well, I mean, I think it's interesting that, you know, kind of artists have choice now more so than ever in terms of how they're going to monetize their own, whether it's catalog, whether it's new music, whether it's, you know, subscription models with with Patreon and stuff as well, right? Like, so, you know, Patreon having been started by, you know, dance music artists to, to kind of like enable people and then growing into a subscription platform for creators, right? And I think when you look at that and you compare it to what SoundCloud is doing, and then you look back at what Tidal and Square are doing, it's really interesting to see how the platforms and the financial services innovators are trying to kind of come together and bridge this for the artists. Um, and they just have different views around how to make this effective. I think it's really fascinating and I'll, I'll keep on the, the title and square combination for a little bit, um, you know, cause there's some kind of doubt around did, does square legitimately believe that they can uh, incentivize artists through their platform maybe through some exclusivity or whatnot. And the tie-in with having Jay-Z on the board of Square hopefully kind of pushes that forward. But at the same time, is this just, you know, Jack trying to kind of spend more time with Jay-Z and Beyonce, you know, or is this a legitimate, you know, we believe that we can compete with your Spotify's and your Apple Music um, platforms in this type of way to incentivize artists to maybe only release music, you know, on title. Because I think that's always been, Jay-Z's MO with title. And, you know, when he launched it or, or kind of took it over, he brought on, you know, whether it was Madonna or Kanye or Pharrell and the experiments with, you know, kind of launching a Beyonce album exclusively on that platform uh, probably drove up some subscriptions, but I wonder what those subscription numbers actually look like comparatively to your Spotify's and your Apple music. My guess is that it's a distant third, right? To those platforms, if not even a fourth or a fifth compared to some of the other platforms that exist out there. Um, and now we're seeing kind of how do they compete, right? And maybe kind of monetization and putting money into the pockets of artists is another kind of angle to compete on. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see if artists actually choose that, right? Like you might kind of only be exposing your music to a limited audience, but you might make higher income off yeah. the back of that. I think that's the MO, but, but who knows whether or not it'll be an actualized, realized uh, way forward. But the exclusivity thing just doesn't work, right? So here's my view. Okay, so you have Tidal releases The Life of Pablo exclusively, um, what, back 2015. Uh, so even, okay, whether it be back then or now, charts still matter to yeah. some extent, right? Now, if you're only going to release on one DSP, you better make damn sure that DSP can give you the numbers you want. Otherwise, you end up doing what Kanye did, where he just kind of distributed it on every other DSP, and now there's some kind of controversy as as with everything, as is everything with Kanye West. But um, 
so the, the problem there with exclusivity is essentially your reach and then encourages other forms of piracy. Now, you saw, talking of acquisitions, when Apple Music bought Beats, uh, kind of, when was it? I think it might've been 2014. Uh, everyone thought it was for the headphones. Uh, well, not everyone, but I guess quite a few people thought it was for the headphones, but no, it was actually about the Beats Music uh, DSP in the background. And again, because Interscope as a record label had an incredible roster of artists and um, they thought that they would be able to use that to help leverage Apple Music's position in the space. You saw Jimmy Iovine come in as a special advisor of Apple Music. They did, again, release, again, exclusive album releases on the platform. I think they did it with Katy Perry's Dark Horse, in, yep. Katy Perry's album in particular. And it was a flop. Uh, because, well, you know, from a financial point of view, why? Because, again, like your audience is ring fenced to one DSP. So I think that in itself for title is a challenge. On top of that, the fact that They've always separated themselves from everyone else by charging almost double per month for this kind of high quality audio, where many have felt that that's kind of, and we spoke about this before, the key differentiator between DSPs, but Spotify is coming out with Hi-Fi, which is essentially CD quality music. And Apple did it with iTunes in 2003 with AAC, or 2004 with AAC. So I think the, the Square title um, uh, acquisition here um, is really more so about either closing the gap between royalty distribution and payments or providing other financial services tools to artists and creating an ecosystem around that, which has always been something that we've driven kind of home at Anthemus and which is something which I think both you and I and many others are very passionate about is enabling or financially empowering artists to give them an opportunity to control the narrative of their career, not just from uh, a media perspective, but from a financial services point of view, is something that's been missing. Yeah, and it's going to be really interesting to see how some of these platforms try to compete, right? Like whether it is the quality of the product, right, and the distribution side of things, or whether they kind of look at this deal and say, okay, how do we get involved? And whether you see kind of like tie-ups between Stripe and Spotify or Stripe and kind of Apple Music or SoundCloud, or you see other financial services platforms integrating with other you know, kind of labels or other kind of um, platforms from a financial services perspective to a content creation perspective. It'll be really, really interesting to see whether there is an actual shift or whether this is just an experiment, right? And I think the other thing is just like from a value perspective, you know, Stripe probably gets a bump from their exposure on crypto, or sorry, Square gets a bump from their exposure on cryptocurrency and their kind of like potential on this deal. And the deal potentially could pay for itself. Mm -hmm. right as the the value of square grows right so whether it's done just as an experiment grows the value grows the reach of the product makes it more competitive to others shows that square is thinking beyond just kind of payment integration as well and does this become like an, a value creator from a you know kind of value market value market cap perspective for the business it'll be interesting to see if others kind of follow that trend uh mm -hmm. Well, right. Does Spotify go and acquire uh, a leaner, you know, like uh, a platform from a financial services perspective to enable this? Do do partnerships kind of grow, or is this just an experiment that nobody else goes and, and runs? Right. If I think about, you know, how we've seen in the UK in particular a lot of SME lending, right, as a as a comparable, you know, a lot of people have tried a lot of different versions, but at the end of the day, the customer isn't that sophisticated. So all they know is they're getting debt, 
right? They don't see the difference necessarily from an APR perspective of what the difference is between credit card debt versus taking out in like invoice factoring versus taking out, you know, kind of revenue-based financing or projection-based financing to the retailer, you know, it's all debt. And I wonder if it's the same thing for the artist, right? They just want to get paid and they don't necessarily have the in, insight into the differences between kind of forward projections, platform versus platform. What they're thinking about is how do I create my music? How do I get the most people to listen to it? And if the most people who are dedicated will listen to it, maybe I can do some simplification around how I generate revenue. Maybe I can do my merch. Maybe I can do my Patreon, right? But when it comes to like platform versus platform, I think as you've rightly said, there's been so much experimentation with just isolating on one platform that it just hasn't worked because, you know, if Life of Pablo was still only available on Tidal and if, you know, Beyonce's last two albums were only just still available on Tidal, then maybe Tidal would have grown over a longer period. But what happens is the Spotify user, the Apple Music user will either pirate it if they're a super fan, they'll pay for Tidal for a bit and then cancel, but they know that that music is eventually going to make its way onto their platform of choice. And so that reach is always gonna be there as being a multi-platform play for the artist in particular. Yeah, I mean, people criticize, you know, why would you go for Tidal? Their, their user numbers have been declining. They've been accused of inflating their user numbers. Uh, you know, as you've mentioned, I think they're fourth or fifth now, because even Amazon music's ahead of them, surprisingly. Um, but I mean, Whatever. Strategically, I think it's great because it opens up a narrative in an industry that's been dying for this and it creates a whole new opportunity. And I actually see parallels to when, you know, Dan, you know Daniel Eck first built Spotify. The challenges he had with getting one label on board and as soon as he got one label on board, and I can't quite remember which label that was, right? It opened up the floodgates for the streaming industry for what is now, you know, 15 years of kind of from 15 years of declining revenues to almost three to four years of consecutive growth. Yeah. Why? Because it just took one to change it. And maybe Tidal is that catalyst for change. I mean, I was reading some, an interesting opinion about, well, maybe Jack Dorsey should have rather got Twitter to acquire Tidal because the integration between music and social media and using Twitter to elevate an artist's kind of reputation. But whatever, there's so many types of social media slash media-driven businesses within the music industry. What difference does it make? I mean, at the end of the day, that's what the industry's almost become, driven by your kind of social media narrative more so than the quality of your music. So we actually need financial tools to help artists, irrespective of whether you're a big artist or a small artist. I mean, you've even seen that um, whether you're independent or not, uh, the same challenges uh, apply, you know, with the exception of maybe being a Jay-Z or, mm. or maybe even a, a Drake or, or a top-tier artist, most struggle. Yeah. It's interesting, like I, I, I've heard that opinion as well around kind of Jack Dorsey being the CEO of two companies and which company does he really kind of care about or which one is his value creation kind of bigger on. And the whole Twitter thing is a big kind of thing of Scott Galloway, uh, who's a New York University or NYU uh, academic, who's an, also an entrepreneur a couple times over, who's kind of espoused that view of Jack Dorsey being a bit negligent on Twitter and that this could have been the deal that he should have done um, with Tidal. I don't know. I mean, I think the subscription side with Patreon uh, and other platforms have tried this uh, with Substack as well for, for content creators. Um, you know, I don't know if that model works for the artist because like I've said earlier, like I think, you know, kind of being on a number of platforms and kind of scaling up that, that broad reach is the way forward for a lot of these artists. 
um, and really kind of the financial side is as many kind of streams of revenue uh, as possible. It's interesting to see kind of like we're, we're starting to move back into the bundling side rather than the unbundling, right, of that media finance component, but it's not kind of bundling as we would have seen in one ind industry. It's almost like an intersection bundling, right, where you are seeing financial services bundling with media more and more and more. And it'll be interesting to see if that kind of continues uh, to play out over the term and what it means for creators and what it means for customers. Uh, Daria, I got to ask, are you a subscriber right now to Title? Uh, I'm not, but I have, it's funny you say, I, I'm not, but I have toyed with the idea because it had the high quality audio. And, you know, I'm not really that pedantic about it, but I will say that, you know, it makes a big difference in the listening experience. Uh, so I have a subscription. Really? Yes. And okay. I'll tell you why. I have a subscription that I use for one purpose only. And that's because I use, I, I play around with DJ and I have turntables and Spotify turned off its integration for, no. for DJ Pro and yet Tidal has kept open its integration. And so that's the only reason I've continued my Tidal subscription is because the only way to access music from a DJ perspective, now I'm paying for both. So I have both my Spotify subscription that I pay for because my family uses Spotify. I like Spotify for podcasts and I listen to most of the new music Fridays and the curated playlists on Spotify. Yeah. But then we create some of those playlists on Tidal for my DJing, you know, kind of hobby. I didn't even really did that, right? Yeah. I mean, dude, wait, so, so is the catalog the same? Is it that? So there's never been, there's never been a song that I found on Spotify that I haven't been able to find on Tidal. Um, but what it does do, what it does mean is that, you know, like if I want to spin up, you know, a, a, whatever, like a 30 minute set that I just want to have fun with, I can find the tracks, I can build the playlist and then I rebuild that playlist on Tidal. Um, and every time so far, at least, I haven't found that the, the catalog has been one way, shape or another. But yeah, so I've actually used the web application for Tidal, still oh. paying for a subscription. And it's a good product. It's just not a great product. And the only reason I really am still paying is because of the integration and the openness of that catalog on another platform. Okay. I mean, wait, so, so what do you do with these DJ mixes? <laughs> it's honestly, I haven't been recording or anything. I might make like a middle school FL mix or something like that. Uh, at some point or release it on YouTube or something. But it's really been, you know, kind of a thing because my son is really into music yeah. and it's like a way for us to just play with music together. So we've been doing that. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. But yeah, so, so going back to kind of these integrations, platforms, all of that, still think we're in like early innings, right? In terms yeah. of figuring out like where we are, how these early innings from like, a, I think a bundling perspective, right? And we'll probably continue to see a little bit more consolidation in the months, years to come. De definitely. I mean, I remember what Q3 2018, I used to speak to you about this a lot. Yeah. There wasn't much in the market at all. I mean, there were probably like three companies that I came across and like they were mostly crypto specific, yeah. which kind of sucked. And uh, uh, that was it. It's, and I don't know if COVID's ex actually, I, I do, I do know. COVID's definitely accelerated uh you know these trends which has been great which i guess kind of justifies and helps to kind of support our ways of thinking and we're sitting here in march 2021 already and the amount of deal flow we see in the space 
blowing up. It's, 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 it's insane. Um, you, know, know, we, I mean, you know, it's funny that you say the crypto side, right? I think from a DeFi space, you know, we'll still see to continue to see that evolution of, you know, kind of decentralized finance for creators, yeah. right? And whether it's going to be artists launching their own cryptocurrencies and coins as a way to kind of encourage whether it's merch or whether it's, you know, experiences as well. I'm really fascinated by, because I think like while we're in early innings of the whole kind of finance meeting media, I think we're super early from a decentralized finance perspective. Yeah. And how that's going to get embedded into media as well. Definitely. And I think that's, a, that's definitely a topic for, for our next episode. Uh, I've got a couple of ideas there, which I think we should, we should, we should unpack for sure. Um, on that note, considering it's been what, like a good couple of months since we last kind of touched base on this, um, what are you listening to? <laughs> so, I mean, what I'm listening to right now compared to what I've been listening to over the last few months, right? Like I think what's gotten me through is I've started to kind of like broaden my listening. So I've been listening to like a lot of like Spotify playlists around like jazz okay. and, and um, classical music. Uh, just because, you know, if I'm ever asked to do Desert Island Discs, I want to try and kind of find whether it's also Lemieux or something else that makes me seem a little bit classier than maybe I actually am. Yeah. But at the same time, I've also found it relaxing. Um, but that being said, like just recently, New Drake, to be honest, not a huge, big kind of, I don't know, kind of fan of what the new music looks like for, from Drake's perspective. There's been a couple of Bieber tracks yeah. that, you know, liked. Yeah. Um, you know, I think he's, he's enjoying his loved up phase continually. Yeah. Uh, I did enjoy kind of seeing, I don't know if this was before we recorded or while we recorded that intersection of, of uh, Justin Bieber uh, doing that Drake video for that track. So, uh, so pop star. Yeah, for pop star, that was, yeah. that was fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, I am super pumped and I know we've got slightly different views on this, but the Silk Sonic Leave the Door Open track, I really enjoyed. And I've been playing that quite a lot personally. I think my family's getting a bit tired uh, of me playing that track over and over again. But I love kind of the merging of styles. I've been immersing myself in all the content as well. There's a Zane Lowe uh, interview on YouTube that I found as well with both Anderson Pock and, and Bruno Mars. Uh, that's great and that I highly recommend. And it's just nice to see like two artists kind of merging styles yeah. and ends of each other and kind of just like showing off together in terms of the music they create. And I'm super, super excited uh, about that album coming yeah. out. They're, those guys, I mean, they're great. I mean, as individual artists, I mean, together. Yeah. I, I think for me though, like with Anderson Park was, when he did more up-tempo stuff, I really preferred it. And I just kind of felt like the, the latest release of Silk Sonic is a little bit more chill, but I think there'll definitely be the up-tempo side. A friend of mine I see was at this uh, Bruno Mars pop-up store in LA, which he's done uh, with, with Lacoste, which is kind of gender neutral clothing and every week it changes, it's really cool. Um, so it's good to see that like, you know, good quality, well thought out, well produced music still exists because to your point on the Drake side, I feel like it is so generic, it's simple, it's basic and kind of, hey, I mean, if it sells, it sells, but I don't know, it's just a bit, it's just a bit different. It was a bit uh, disappointing. I think the Bruno Mars, uh, Anderson Park collaboration has me excited. The Drake stuff, I'm I've kind of, you know, and, and I know my wife won't listen to this, otherwise she'll be like, I told you so. But it feels like he's just getting kind of a bit, you know, kind of lazy. Yeah, yeah. New stuff. And, 
you know, I, I still am a fan of Drake and would like to see him do well. So I hope that, you know, kind of the new music that we do see from him um, does kind of maybe recover a little bit. We shall see. We shall see. I've been listening to what um, Eminem released music to be murdered by side B, mm. uh, I think on December 17th. And that's been awesome. I really enjoyed that. I think it's got a second wind for sure. As he released that tone deaf. I don't know if you've seen this online with Gen Z's versus millennials on TikTok. Gen Z's trying to cancel Eminem for a line he used on Love the Way You Lie. Uh, like tie you to the bed and set the house on fire. Uh, like, and then millennials are like, are you kidding me? There's been way worse songs that he's put out. Yeah. Um, and he released Tone Deaf, as, which is a song from Music To Be Murdered by Side B. But I personally think that was just a marketing ploy. I mean, it made out Good Morning America, a good exposure. And it probably increases the streams, right? Of, exactly. Fanboys and the people who hate listen uh, as well. I mean, another thing that I, that I have been listening to a lot, not so much this last week since the Silk Sonic stuff, but before, was uh, there's a movie out with Daniel Kaluuya um, and Keith Lakeith. Oh, I always mess up his name. But basically the two guys who were both in Get Out Lakeith Stanfield, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Oh, yeah. And uh, Daniel, I mean, Daniel Kaluuya, he's, uh, as he likes to say, from ends of uh, Northwest London, Kentish Town, uh, which is where, where I am, uh, pretty much. And so, you know, he's in this movie and the soundtrack for that album is nuts. So there was a time where that was all I was playing for some time. There's a great track with um, Black Thought, uh, there's a great Nipsey Hustle and Jay-Z track. Yeah. There's a Nas track. Uh, Her is on the album. BJ the Chicago Kid. Like it's it's a great, it feels like that Black Panther soundtrack yeah. right? on kind of Redux a little bit. So I really was enjoying uh, the Judas and the Black Messiah uh, album as well. That one was a great Soundtracks one. Soundtracks don't get enough. No. Days. Like I, it's strange. I was listening to the Eight Mile soundtrack the other day. Like the problem is, I don't know why, but there's like the non-explicit version is the only one available on Spotify. But I mean, dude, like there are about three or four Eminem tracks there that are in his prime, but like no one talks to them because most people won't hear them because he's going to listen to a soundtrack. Well, uh, also the one track blew up, right? And it kind of also overshadowed yeah, true, true. the others. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see like, like, I mean, I think that that compilation and whether we see more, you know, you mentioned kind of the, the Lacoste tie-in with Bruno Mars, right? So the, the link up with kind of clothing and fashion and music. And if we kind of go back to seeing kind of, you know, forget about the going full circle with the square title piece, but the compensation for like their art as creators in media, right? When it comes to TV, when it comes to movies, all of this kind of stuff, right? It'll be interesting to see if that kind of gets collateralized or gets, you know, kind of tied up in a way that makes it uh, able for for these artists to, to make more off the back of their music in these forms uh, right. as well. It's funny, you know, kind of my son, when I tell him about Anderson Pop, he's like the guy from Trolls World Tour and <laughs> describes kind of what he was like in Trolls World Tour uh, as a character. Um, I watched that, have you? Yeah, totally. It's pretty cool, actually. Um, um, but anyways, on that note, uh, yeah, my, my Google calendars, is warning me about other meetings. And yeah. so we both got busy days, but it's been great to, to catch up, Dario. Great to kind of talk music, talk finance, talk technology uh, after a, a bit of a hiatus, but hopefully we'll, we'll get 
a few episodes under our belt for this new season four. Definitely, definitely. Cool, man. Well, I guess you guys can catch us on, on Twitter at middle school underscore music. Uh, and Farhan, where, where, can, where can they find you? They can find me on Twitter at Farhan Lalji, all one word. Uh, Dario, where can they find you specifically? You can find me on Twitter at Dario underscore Devet, uh, W. Otherwise, uh, I guess you could probably find us both on Instagram somehow. No, the middle school page is good as well. Uh, so, yeah. Anyway, I'll see you soon. Take care, Dario. Oh, you too. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Can I listen to your podcast?